Hi, and welcome to Listen Up, A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that's pretty cut for a crazy homeless person. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we are working our way through the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So listen up, a-holes. We're going to talk about Thor. So we're going to be a little light on the comic book history this time around, Lonnie. Uh Uh-huh. Because most of modern Thor comics, and definitely the MCU, have basically done away with what was the status quo of Thor for the biggest chunk of his publishing history. So we're going to talk about it a little bit, Uh but it's not really going to come into play in this movie. All right. And that's probably fine. Well, what did they do that they got rid of? Well, let me let me let me give you the the vital statistics yes. here right quick. <laughs> Thor first appeared in Journey into Mystery number 83 in August of 1962, written by Stan Lee and Larry Lieber and drawn by your friend and mine, Jack the King Kirby. <laughs> There is an episode is coming where I just maybe it's a Patreon episode. I don't know. But where I just freak out about Jack Kirby for the whole episode. But I'm trying to rein it in. Okay. (laughs) Well, I appreciate your restraint. (laughs) Well, don't expect it forever. I'm just (laughs) holding it back because I'm really into that guy. Mm -hmm. And um and look, going back and rereading these comic books just reminded me of the reasons that I love Jack Kirby. Yeah. Um. Because whatever else we can say about this origin story, and we'll have plenty to say, uh, it's dynamic and action-packed and, you know, everybody looks really great. And even the weird aliens, which we'll talk about in a minute. So this story was entitled Thor the Mighty and the Stone Men from Saturn. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. Well, that might be a bit of a stretch. But, I mean, but they... I, I appreciate the fact that they wanted to get this version of Thor out into the world mm-hmm. and that maybe giving him robust villains while they also had to explain everything in the world about him was not the smartest plan. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, oh, there's an alien invasion happening in Norway for no apparent reason? <laughs> Seems legit. When the story opens, that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. There's like a small invasion force, like an initial incursion force from Saturn who we are, I don't think, ever going to hear about or from again. Okay. They have attacked Earth in these fake stone bodies, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're It's like they've made living tanks for themselves. It's not actually the Saturnians. Like Saturnians. an Iron Man suit, but of stone. Yes, okay. yes. Um, and they're not actually in it. Mm-hmm. It's not even armor. They've, like, projected their minds into them or something. Mm-hmm. I... Listen, again, they don't get a whole lot of they don't get a whole lot going for them. All right. They have for some reason decided to start this invasion in Norway. Well, sure. Where Dr. Donald Blake, a young American physician just happens to be on vacation. Mhm. Dr. Blake is basically a blank slate for this story. He's a medical doctor. He vacations in Scandinavia. He's willing to go out looking for giant stone men on the say-so of, like, one Norwegian guy. (laughs) And he walks with a limp. And that walks with a limp is basically the only character trait that's going to matter for the purposes of the story. Uh 
because it's in the process of Dr. Blake going out to see these stone men that he catches their attention, has to run away for his life, and in the process loses his cane. Mm -hmm. So he can't get away, so he hides in a cave. And while he's hiding in a cave, he finds a secret passage and a gnarled old stick that when he strikes on the ground, transforms itself into the hammer of Norse legend Mjolnir (laughs) and Blake into the mighty Thor. Wow. Yep. So that... (laughs) that did he know, was he hiding out as Dr. Donald Blake or was he, did he think he was that and then discovered his true nature? Well, that depends on which part of the series you're reading. Okay. <laughs> For our purposes right now, right here, he is 100% Dr. Donald Blake, mm-hmm. finds the stick, turns it into the hammer, turns himself into Thor and reads the inscription that is kind of a big deal for this movie. The, mm-hmm. you know, Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall have the power of Thor. And he's like, oh, neat. I must have been worthy. Oh, so he just gets the power of Thor and then becomes He just Thor. gets the power of Thor. All yes. right. But he also kind of knows a bunch of stuff already because he can call lightning when he swings the hammer mm-hmm. and he can bang it on the ground two times for uh, like causing thunderstorms and lots of other stuff that goes away very quickly because it's not that interesting to watch him hit it on the ground when he can just be swinging it and bringing the thunder, you know? (laughs) And he also discovers that if he just taps it on the ground once, it will change back to a stick and he will change back to Donald Blake. Oh. And what's more, if he lets go of the hammer for more than a minute, he will transform back to Donald Blake. Okay. So... He's now got some secret identity shenanigans set, ready to go. (laughs) And anyway, he beats up the stone guys and they run away from Earth because there might be more guys like Thor. That's seriously it. Okay. That's that's how that is. (laughs) Like, we did not realize what we were up against. So, so sorry. Bye-bye. And that's it. Okay. So, funny side note. That is 100% the deal. Oh, what if there are (laughs) other guys like this? And there will actually be stories much later, I mean like 15, 20 years later, that are based around a bunch of intergalactic races going, well, like every third Earthling has superpowers. Maybe we should put a stop to that plant. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the so the seeds are sown although these many decades. Okay. At any rate, for quite a while, Thor is the superheroic alter ego of Donald Blake. His adventures grow kind of more and more grandiose in scale, like the very next issue he's facing Loki, and then way later he's returning to Asgard. And finally, in December of 1968, in the pages of Thor, number 159, because by this point Thor is popular enough to carry his own book Mm -hmm. and not just be the main feature in Journey into Mystery, Mm -hmm. Odin reveals that he turned Thor into a human being with a disabled leg to teach him humility. Ah. Donald Blake appeared as an actual blank slate, not just the blank slate he appeared to be in that first story, with no memories on a college campus and decided to just go enroll and go to med school. And honestly, the less we think about this, the better, because that's some serious mystical nonsense from Odin, (laughs) who I don't think of as a guy who understands the intricacies of social security numbers and birth certificates. So, yeah. Yeah. That is weird. But I guess if you've got the power of magic, you know, like the psychic paper from Doctor Who, you can just, you know, wave it away. Yes. (laughs) But it's not like Odin was following him around waving magic paper in front of people. Very true. Yeah. He just showed up a fully grown person with no memories before that day and never questioned it because (laughs) Odin is a sadist. That's what I mean. That's. 
existential dread on an epic scale, oh, right? Certainly, but so yeah. eventually you find out he's always been Thor. Uh-huh. But this was how he was banished to Earth and Odin was teaching him humility and how that factors into listen it's comics they've been going on forever i guarantee someone sat down and explained how odin had it all planned right. out with the saturn people and <laughs> stuff but i didn't read all of that sure. because no one cares right. <laughs> it's not not the best but yeah but but it, let's remember back that marvel's kind of reinventing the wheel that dc had been doing for years sure. right and so there were some things that they felt were integral to the superhero experience mm-hmm. and this is like uh Iron Man being Tony Stark's bodyguard, secret identity shenanigans are part of it. Mm -hmm. They're not actually crazy because the biggest thing Marvel did was create romance comics that also had face punching. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) So you have to have love triangles and stuff in that, right? So enter Jane Foster. Oh, yeah. Introduced in the second issue of Journey into Mystery that showcases Thor. She is a nurse who is infatuated with Donald Blake, but she's afraid to tell him. Mm Mm-hmm. Blake, naturally, also loved her, but didn't think she'd be into a successful doctor because he had to walk with a cane, thus proving that he, much like Thor, is thick as three planks. <laughs> so the cane is his vulnerability. Yes. Right. Yes, the cane is his vulnerability. And actually, they turn that around, and it's the same for Thor mm-hmm. when it becomes his hammer, because if he's separated from it, he becomes Just more. Donald Blake. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give him too much credit because that's really dumb. Uh-huh. I mean, it really is like that this, oh, he's a very successful doctor and he's so kind. Uh, they do a little bit of the Superman stuff where where is Donald Blake around when Thor's around? Mm-hmm. He must be some kind of coward. But at the same time, what's he going to do? <laughs> you know, so they play with that a little bit, uh-huh. but it really comes down to Blake doesn't think she would be into a dude who has to walk with a cane. And I'm just like, man, yeah, if she's that shallow... Right. What? Then anyway, why are you interested yeah. in her anyway? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I just realized. Maybe they did actually base Jane Foster in this movie on the original Jane Foster from the comics. Oh, maybe. It's just not that bright. Just not that bright. <laughs> yes. The astrophysicist who's just not that bright. <laughs> will oh will we get to We'll it? get right. to that, yes. Now a lot of the other stuff in this movie, Sif, the Warriors Three, Hemdall, Loki's past and his parentage, the Odin sleep, all kinds of stuff that is really important to this movie show up in the first forty or fifty issues mm-hmm. of Thor's existence, in between Journey into Mystery and his own book. Even the Destroyer appears in Journey into Mystery number one eighteen in nineteen sixty-five. Without much of a backstory, they kind of hint that it was built to battle some danger from the stars Mm -hmm. but when it first shows up loki's just using it as a tool to destroy thor Uh uh-huh we don't actually find out what it was for until thor number 300 in 1980 and this is the short version Mm -hmm. odin zeus and the other sky father gods of earth made a weapon to fight the celestials which are ancient cosmic geneticist gods of incalculable power (laughs) and when the celestials returned to earth that's right they'd been here before Mm mm-hmm the Destroyer was that weapon. Odin put his mind into the Destroyer to go out and fight the Celestials. It did not go well for anyone but the Celestials. <laughs> That's the short version. Okay. And All I right. think it's best if we just leave it there. Okay. Right. Well, really, Celestials. Maybe when we get to the Inhumans, God help all of us, we'll talk more about the Celestials. But, all right. man. <laughs> now, Thor has appeared in a few other media before this movie, mainly a cartoon in the 60s that I'm only bringing up now because it is mod as hell and we are going to listen to the theme song now. <laughs> 
Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder the God of thunder, mighty Thor. There are a few of what we might call definitive runs on Thor, but I'm going to save them for discussion during the other movies. They make more sense with some of the plot stuff that happens in the other movies. Mm -hmm. Today, though, if you kind of like Thor or feel like you should like Thor but really don't, I'm talking to you, Lonnie, (laughs) I'm going to recommend a little series called Thor the Mighty Avenger. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to talk about it now because I made Lonnie read it to try and explain why I give Thor so much slack in this movie that I otherwise feel kind of meh about. So we'll talk about that more down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Since I made you read it. Yes, I did. And I read the whole thing. So I did my homework. (laughs) Okay, friends, she read the whole thing. Now, no shade, because when we started this, I said, I'm not going to make you read a bunch of comics unless you want to. Yes. Mm -hmm. When she says she read the whole thing, there were eight issues and it was canceled because it was too good for this fallen world. Yes. <laughs> I don't want you to think that she read like 40 years of no, comics just for no, this one episode. No, I, I don't have that kind of time. No, it was just, it was eight little issues. It was, it was interesting. It was unfinished, you know, as a story. Um, but there were some interesting things there. And it gave me, I think, a, a broader context for Thor. I don't know if it made me like the movie anymore, but. No, <laughs> no, no, that's, yes, uh, that was not my goal. Yeah. I just was kind of like, I may be reading this Thor into the movie Thor and therefore giving him some credit. And giving him a little, got a little extra textual, you know, kind of mojo going there. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, let's go ahead and go through the production history of this movie. As we have established, typically the fewer writers on a project, the higher the quality of the project. And it's really about clarity of vision. The more writers you have coming into a project, monkeying with it, inserting a new vision that might not be compatible with the one that came before, it can result in a story feeling tonally incongruent and often kind of confusing. And uh, Thor has eight writing credits attached to it. Pie, Odin's beard. Yes. So let's sort out what we're dealing with here. First, we have the original comic book creation credits. That accounts for three of the eight credits, and that's okay because they don't really count toward the damage done by so many writers on this version (laughs) because they just contributed the original inspiration. So that gives us Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. So we can take them right out. They're not causing this to be any worse than it already was. Um, But next, we have the story by credits. Now, story by is where you come up with the basic story beats but you don't write the screenplay itself. So this also somewhat mitigates the number of writers on a project because these writers are just kind of sketching out the blueprint for the story. So it's not as as deep into like the, the tonal, mo- the moment to moment kind of work in the tone of the story. And uh, for these two positions, we have J. Michael Straczynski of Babylon 5 and Sense8 fame. So some people may be familiar with him. Um, and also Mark Protasevich, who most notably adapted 2006's Poseidon. Um, um, and was one of a handful of writers of on I Am Legend. So that's that guy, right? So these guys went ahead and did the uh, the story by work, and it appears that they did that separately. So we had one person sketching out the blueprint for the story, then another person got those story beats and reorganized them, which actually goes a long way to explain kind of some of the stuff that's happening in Thor, which of course we'll get to in a little bit. Let me interject yes. for more comic book nerdery. Yes. One of those definitive Thor runs that I mentioned was actually written by J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, okay. So we'll 
we'll talk more about his stuff again. You know, it makes more sense in some of the other movies. But let me say, he was not a name they picked out of a hat to work on Thor. All right. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. There's somebody who has like that background in it. Um, and J. Michael Straczynski, I mean, I don't know a lot of his work really well. I have watched Sense8, um, but I hear really good things about, about the work that he does. So I appreciate that he set Asgard in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Or... I mean, more like 10 or 12 feet above Oklahoma, but still. (laughs) Well, obviously, he was thinking of you. (laughs) Uh, Right. Hometown represents. That's right. (laughs) All right. So that is five of the eight credits. Um, There are three screenplay credits, two of which form a team that was at least working together. So as far as the blurred vision of the piece, that's better than no teams. That team is Ashley Edward Miller and Jack Stentz. Miller and Stentz wrote a draft of X-Men First Class. They've also written some television scripts together, including a few for Fringe, which is a show that I've always liked. Um, They also have a screenplay credit for an upcoming remake of Big Trouble in Little China, which has no relevance here, but I just thought that was interesting because, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. (laughs) I got a lot of feelings about that whole statement right there. That I'm just going to put in my back pocket until I find out more information. That should be interesting to see how that turns out. Our last screenplay credit goes to Don Payne, um, who wrote 2007's Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Um, And he also has a story credit for 2013's Thor The Dark World. Now, let me ask you about Fantastic Four, because I'm not familiar with this, but my understanding is that the Fantastic Four movies are truly, truly dreadful, but I haven't seen them, so I can't say. That's just what I've heard. They're not great (laughs) there is some stuff that they get kind of right yeah and then so i've mentioned before that the 90s were a weird time for superhero movies that you would get these things that were like two-thirds baked Mm -hmm. superhero ideas like the shadow and the phantom that is how fantastic four felt Uh uh-huh and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer was the same. It was like they somebody did go and read about 10 comics. Yeah. And and got so they got like some of the bits right and the other bits it was like, "What are you guys doing?" And yeah, and then they doubled down on that for Rise of the Silver Surfer, so it wasn't great. Okay. It's not great. Yeah, I've heard I've heard not bad great. things about those movies, but I haven't actually seen them, so I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to throw any shade, but <laughs> <laughs> no Patreon goal is high enough to make us watch and talk about the Fantastic Four movies. <laughs> I don't know. Now I kind of want to. But anyway, we'll have that discussion Challenge, off mic. patrons. <laughs> Challenge. We'll have that discussion off mic. All right. So for eight <laughs> writing credits, it is not terrible, uh, but it ain't great. Although it isn't entirely uncommon for Marvel movies to have a handful of writers on them, especially considering the character creation credits from the original comic books. It's a pretty reliable rule of thumb that the more writers you have on a project the less focused it is and i think that this movie speaks to that rule i think that this is kind of one of my examples of why i have that rule um but the director discussion is going to be much simpler because we only had one just kenneth branna usually you only have one director so that worked out really nicely and uh branna hit the scene in 1989's henry v which he directed adapted and starred in to huge critical acclaim this made him kind of a big star both as a director and as as an actor. And since then, he's been doing pretty much everything there is to do in movies. He's producing, he's directing, he's acting, he's writing. Um, on the directing side, he does a lot of Shakespeare, his biggest hit being 1993's Much Ado About Nothing, which he starred in opposite Emma Thompson. Um, and for acting, some of you guys may remember him as Gilderoy Lockhart in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So he's kind of memorable in that role. <laughs> 
I do remember him. I I'm a very filthy casual Harry Potter observer, yes. but I do remember him. Yeah. He's really weird. He is a little weird. I like I like Kenneth Branagh. I think he's really good and he's interesting and he tends to follow his own vision. You know, he tends to kind of do yes. his own thing. And if he gets acclaim for it, then great. And if he doesn't, then at least he's having fun. He seems like that kind of guy to me. Um, and but, Shakespeare yeah. is the right approach for a lot of what they were trying to do with Thor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, as far as directors go, we've got this one guy. He's got serious street cred. And so that's really good. And hopefully that helps a little bit with the overall story vision problem that we have in this movie. Thor was released on May 6, 2011. It was made with a budget in the same neighborhood as Iron Man and Incredible Hulk. It was $150 million and it had a worldwide gross of about $450 million. So it performed better than Hulk, not quite as good as Iron Man, but still still, you know, within the range that I think they wanted to see their movies returning in. Um, and one more thing of interest, this is just kind of a tiny little uh, bit of trivia that I found interesting, is that some of you may remember Stuart Townsend as the guy who had the role of Aragorn in Lord of the Rings until a few days into shooting when he was replaced by Viggo Mortensen. Well, Stuart Townsend was originally slated to play Fandral, but a few days before Thor started shooting, he was replaced by Joshua Dallas, who plays Charming from Once Upon a Time. And it was it was said that it was, you know, creative differences or whatever. But like Stuart Townsend, this dude cannot cut a break. He has been fired from more movies. Every time I go in to like look up movie history, like, you know, or the production history on something, you know, nine times out of ten, Stuart Townsend had a part and was fired from it. <laughs> like... I don't understand what happens. He's just the walking, talking sixth beetle of every he's movie. He's just that guy. Yeah, he's just that guy. So he's the Pete, he's the Pete best. I don't know what the deal is, but yeah. Um, all right. So now that's the production history. We got the comics history. Let's go ahead and talk about Thor. Joshua, what you got for me? <laughs> so I'm mostly bored by Thor yeah. as a film. Mm-hmm. I, we have to be careful. Not Thor the character as much. Although a little bit him, too. But, I mean, overall, as a movie, I'm kind of bored by it. Mm -hmm. I don't understand, for instance, why we have this fantastical backdrop that is Asgard. And then we spend so much of the movie in a desert. Yeah. Well, that's part of the confusion that we've got here. We have two, at least two, very separate visions of the story that's going on here. And we're split between these two places. And I think that ends up being a really, really big problem for this movie. Um, Thor in general, like as you know, I've discussed a number of times, is not the kind of hero that I like, right? He's, you know, he's a god, he's from this other place, like there's no like sense of his like humanity, you know, just as like somebody who has vulnerability, somebody who has that that grime and that grit to him. He's just this like arrogant man child, you know, like flipping over tables and throwing fits and, you know, rushing off to war and glory and all this kind of stuff just without thinking. And he's he's not smart and he's not like good, you know. So I yeah. I have trouble kind of getting purchase on Thor. He's also like super powerful and has all of these like incredibly like super qualities, which in Asgard aren't quite so bad because he's, you know, everybody else around him is also like, you know, elevated. They're all, they're all, they've all got incredible powers. They're all very powerful. So at least he's matched when he's in Asgard. And when he ends up in, you know, on earth, he's minimized because he doesn't have his, his hammer, you know? Um, So I guess there's, there's that a little bit, but it does feel 
very out of focus. Everything that we're doing here is so cluttered. And there's this line of antagonism with Loki, which Loki, I love Loki. I love like he's, I've got clarity with Loki. I mean, he has that vulnerability because he's, he's the odd son. Like he's the one that, you know, is not going to be ascending to the throne. He's the one that everybody kind of looks on as being a little weird. And he is different. And he finds out of course, why he's different in the course of this movie casket wasn't the only thing you took from Jotunheim that day, was it? No. In the aftermath of the battle, I went into the temple and I found a baby. Small for a giant's offspring. Abandoned, suffering, left to die. Laufey's son. Laufey's son. Loki is great, but everything else in this movie fails to to get my attention, fails to engage me at all. Um, we've got so many different focuses of these stories. Yeah. And even Loki is not as good as he will be. Yeah. No, right? he gets like, much better. Mm-hmm. He's fine, but he's not stellar yet. No, no. The best of Loki is is yet to come, definitely. And I do feel like... there's probably, I mean, there's been so many writers on this that I I don't want to guess what hit the floor on the way to actually shooting the thing, but it does feel like you could make that arrogance, his vulnerability, Thor's vulnerability. If you make this a thing, make this whole story about two brothers who aren't sure that their dad loves them. Yeah. And decide to overcompensate in in different ways. (laughs) Right? Yeah. No, I mean. Because look, Loki is overcompensating. Yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And Loki trying to get Odin's respect, you know, trying to to get the throne. I mean, I, I like that with Loki, we have at least a little bit of clarity. But the problem with Loki is that he lies. Like, he lies all the time. You never know what's actually going on with Loki. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's one thing for him to lie to Thor, to lie to other people. But, like, we as the audience should know what he's after. No, we don't have any of that clarity. Like, he opens up with, you know, Thor is about to, you know, I I guess be proclaimed king. that, That Odin is about to hand over the throne to Thor. And then Loki, of course, sets up the frost giants breaking into the the weapons vault and you know and and throws a, a spanner in those works um and that that's his plan so that that thor does not become king but it all seems weird because he doesn't discover that he actually is a frost giant until after that and that discovery feels strange to me it feels like our antagonist should have clarity on what it is that they're trying to do but we just sort of see him causing trouble more than necessarily having a clear vision of what it is that he's trying to do, like from the jump, you know? Um, no, I agree. So that feels really weird. Not to mention the fact that we have like the big source of conflict is Loki wants the throne, right? But Thor has been cast out. He's been banished. So the thing is you have an antagonist with a clear goal and you have a protagonist with a clear goal and those goals need to be in conflict. Thor wants to get back to Asgard, but he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what Loki's doing. He has no, like, there's no, you know, 
there's no conflict in their goals, except that Loki doesn't want him to come back because he'll get in the way of him taking over the throne. But everything that's happening in Asgard, there's all this, you know, intrigue and, you know, trying to get the throne and this play for power that Loki's doing. But for most of the movie, Thor is completely unaware of that. He's just trying to, to get his hammer back. You know, he's trying to get a sense of who he is. So we have these storylines that are that are split. And I really, I like that Thor is banished to Earth. I like that he loses his powers and he's just a regular guy. I mean, obviously, like, still an exceptional guy. You know, I mean, obviously still able I to mean, beat people look up. look at him. Yeah, you know. I mean, he didn't lose all his powers. He didn't become like, you know, pre-Captain America Steve Rogers or anything. That would have been interesting. Um, but, you know, he's he's trying to find his hammer. He's trying to like, we don't get a clear sense of what it is that, that he's really going to do. I mean, he's going to try to get back to Asgard, but... That's a completely different thing from all of the stuff that's going on in Asgard, all the stuff that Loki's doing. So we have these storylines that are completely split for the vast majority of the movie, you know, and it just, for me, it's like that lack of focus. It's that lack of vision. Like, what story are we telling here? Are we telling his, if he's got an internal conflict that is about him having humility and he comes to earth and he's got to learn that, then whatever the conflict is that externalizes that internal conflict needs to happen on earth. But that's not happening on earth, not until the the destroyer gets there in the last 15 minutes of the film right you know so you're not and and in fact he's not even trying to get back to asgard after our kind of midpoint yeah. visit from loki yeah yeah right so he's, even that he's given up. very basic he's like oh well i, I mean i guess i'm not my after father's the hammer dead or I'm and i'm just that's home. it right i'm just i i'm gonna i'm gonna go get drunk and make eggs yes <laughs> Exactly. And that's the thing. It's getting drunk and, and having family breakfast that suddenly makes him this like stand up human that he's going to, you know, sacrifice all for this. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not focused. It's all over the place. And then on top of that, we've got this absolutely dreadful romantic relationship with Jane Foster, who is a terrible character, just in every way. A it's not character. great. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. It's bad. Well, I mean, the thing with Jane is that we have this situation where Jane is basically, we are informed of how smart Jane is, right? We're informed because she's an astrophysicist, right? She's chasing down this stuff. She knows what the Einstein-Rosen bridge is, so that makes her really smart, right? So, But we have no, like, demonstrated intelligence. We have informed intelligence, you know? Um, but we have no demonstrated. We don't see her actually being smart. What we see her doing is getting all gooey because this guy is so hot. I'm sorry, but I can't take you. And this is where we say goodbye. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> but she giggles and she like gets all yeah. weird and and flustered. And I'm like, okay, you know, yeah, he's pretty. Like nobody's ever gonna say that this dude isn't pretty. But like, there's more. Like you have got to be better than that, Jane. Like hot is not enough. This guy has to have something in common with you. He has to have something that understands you. Like I'm hot, you're hot. Let's be hot together is not enough to build a relationship. And this relationship is just all about this incredibly smart scientist who just gets all goopy every time Thor bats his eyelashes at her. And it's just it's it's weird and it's insulting and I kind of hate it. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I think that there is there's a place that I can kind of cobble together mm -hmm. where Jane's infatuation with Thor is actually because he proves her theories. 
yeah. and happens to be a good looking guy that proves like his literal existence proves her theories yeah. and look at him. Yeah. But but I'm bringing 85 percent of that with me. That's me trying to figure out why she cares about the guy. It's not. As textual as we would like. No, but you know what? I mean, I loved when Selvig was looking up the stories. You know, they're from his homeland. Yeah. Like, why couldn't Jane have been, why does she have to be a scientist? Why couldn't she have been somebody who studies these stories, like a folklorist, you know? And out there, like, she knows everything about Thor. And then this guy lands and he knows everything about Thor. And yeah, he's delusional. He thinks he's Thor. But, you know, but I mean, that could be like a point of connection for them. And if she understands the story, of his homeland she could be part like they could work together to kind of figure out what's going on you know and i mean that could be something that would give her also something to give to him aside from being beautiful because you know basically like i'm sorry in a world where lady sif exists the idea that thor could look at any other woman is completely beyond me lady sif is a warrior she gets him i mean she is obviously made for him and yet here he is with jane foster okay I have many reactions to all of these things. Okay, go. I, well, I mean, first, I feel like there would have been a really interesting thing that would have made Jane smarter on screen mm-hmm. and Thor smarter overall yeah. if he had occurred to him that she could build something that would send him back there to Asgard. There you go. Sure. That could have been something. Right? Because she's studying the stuff. Get them working that- together. Right. Yeah, turns out to be a rainbow bridge. Yeah. Like she goes, oh, I know exactly what your rainbow bridge is. And we're not going to jump too far ahead. The best of Jane that we get in Dark World is doing that kind of yes. thing where she, mm-hmm. you know, understands this stuff where magic and science collide, yes. etc. Yeah. I, I mean, then she gets to be like an awesome astrophysicist genius on screen because she, she's going to be the one that sends him home hammer or no. Yeah. And Thor looks like a slightly le- he's only thick as two planks yeah, right. perhaps <laughs> if it occurs to him that Jane can help him do that well, yeah right. it's not great and it would have given them something to work together on which is the great way to build a romance you get people who work well together you know then you've got something to build a romance on but yeah so i mean in that case the scientist thing would have absolutely worked yeah it would have been great sif i'm i'm going to admit to you i'm pretty meh on sif as a romantic lead for thor yeah. and I'm also going to admit that that might be comic book stuff because eventually she falls in love with like a terrifying horse alien who also has the power of Thor. And that guy is way more awesome than Thor. (laughs) Well, I want somebody more awesome than Thor for Sif. Sif is kind of awesome. His name is Beta Ray Bill. What? So right from jump, he's cooler than (laughs) Thor. Okay. Wow. Okay. That is okay. He's, he's a horse God. Horse monster alien. Horse monster alien. Okay. Listen, right. he he shows up kind of sideways incidentally in Thor Ragnarok. So I am fighting every fiber of my being right now to not talk about Beta Ray Bill and save it for a place where I have any good reason at all. All right. We will put that. We will save that for later. Uh, that is fascinating. I can't wait to hear that I'm story. owning. I'm owning that the comic book thing might be part of it. But I think the other thing is that they are so similar, mm-hmm. except that she's like the smarter Thor. Yeah. That I'm kind of in another place where I'm like, I don't understand why she'd be interested in him either. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I just, because they're both warriors. Like, they seem, they understand each other in a way that, like, Thor and Jane Foster just don't quite seem well matched, you know? 
And yeah, I like no, Sif better. I, I think Sif is a better that. character. I think Sif is fantastic. So, yeah. She's definitely a better character. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I find her a more compelling romantic interest. I'll put it. But she's definitely a better character than Jane. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm starting to feel bad for Natalie Portman, one of the finest actors of a generation. She's fantastic. I love Who Natalie shows up Portman. to Star Wars and Thor yeah. and turns into a cardboard giggling cutout. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's it's it's, it's, not. it's terrible because I think that she has a lot of talent and she can do much more interesting, much more nuanced things. But because she's so beautiful, I feel like she gets these parts where it's just sit there and look pretty, honey. You know? Yeah, if you haven't seen Black Swan. I have not. Oh, man. I mean, she is, well, that movie is like weird and complex Mm -hmm. and she is multi-layered and it's just like, be. I mean, a complete port over would not work for tone, but be that person as an astrophysicist, you know? Yeah. Um, She's capable. It's, I, I almost want to turn that into Marvel meta commentary because we're going to keep mentioning how badly the ladies are treated. Yeah. And and sometimes they're treated badly by just being allowed to be there, yeah. you know, instead of do something useful and interesting well, and engaging. One of the things in this movie that I have to give it is that the women are not that bad. I mean, Jane Foster is not a great character, And the way that we build that romance, I think, is inherently flawed. Uh, But the way we treat women in general, and I mean, granted, we've got three, right? We've got Sif, we've got Darcy, and we've got Jane, you know? Darcy's hilarious. Darcy's fun. She's our little, you know, comedy mule. She carries all the jokes all the way through the story for us, you know? And so she's... All the jokes that Thor doesn't carry. All the jokes that Thor doesn't carry. Which are not a tiny number. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, but I mean, nobody's leering at anybody we don't have any of this tony stark women you know dancing all over the place like we're we're yes. not treating women that way and sif is one of the warriors and i like the way she she always stands out though it's like lady sif and the warriors three like the rest of them are just whatever but that's a lady sif you know <laughs> and we're gonna take yeah. her seriously but i love that in the beginning where he's talking with all of his friends My friends have you forgotten all that we have done together Vandral, hogan who led you into the most glorious of battles you did and Volstag, the delicacy is so succulent you thought you died and gone to Valhalla. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yes. And who proved wrong all who scoffed at the idea that a young maiden could be one of the fiercest warriors this realm has ever known? I did. True, but I supported you. I liked that. I thought that that was actually yes. really kind of nice. Um, so they handled that pretty well. Um, and I like the way they built Sif. I, I like Darcy. I like the fact that we're not... We're not treating women as purely sexual objects the way that, you know, we do often in the Iron Man movies. Yes, you know? that's true. So I think that's that that true. was actually a lot better. We have very few women, you know, in the the movie, but the ones that we have, I think, are well represented as characters and, and you know, are not hypersexualized and not objectified. And I, and I do appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I meant, where it's certainly been worse mm-hmm. But the fact that they, I mean, again, you're right. Darcy does exactly what Darcy's job is. And Freya gets a few moments. No, she does. She does. She doesn't get much. You know, Rene Russo's kind of stuck in the background there a little bit. Um, But yeah, but we're going to get more and better Freya. Yeah. Yeah. But she's good for what she is. And she's not, you know, I mean, we don't do much with her, but we don't 
horribly offend anybody with her either. So right, mm-hmm. right. Yes, that's that's exactly what I meant. So there's nothing offensive yes. about the way the ladies are treated in this, mm-hmm. but they also aren't really given anything to rise to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like another facet of a same problem. Yeah, you know? it is. It is. It's just it's not as directly antagonistic as it usually is toward women. Right, and it's sad that you know that we have to be like grateful for that. But you know, at this point, if you're not at least doing damage, then at least I can, you know, I can appreciate that. Hey, high five, MCU. Yes. You've met the lowest possible bar. (laughs) (laughs) So there were a couple of things in this movie that didn't quite make sense to me. Um, One of them was this destroyer, right? I mean, the destroyer, first of all, the effects on the destroyer, this like furnace robot thing, I thought were actually pretty cool. This is obviously an incredibly powerful weapon. Um, Why did they not take the destroyer to Jotunheim when they went across the Rainbow Bridge in the first place to go attack? Like, it seems to me you're going to an ice planet. You want to take your fiery robot. There's a reason for that. Ooh, what is it? It only does what Loki tells it to do when Loki is king. <gasps> oh, so the king is the only one who can command the destroyer and Odin wouldn't have. I think that that is the thing because it's guarding Odin's like vault yeah. of weapons. Uh-huh. And so I think it only does what I would have said what Odin says, but I guess it will pay attention, you know, to whoever is in charge. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is why. Also, um, once Thor gets his power back, he pretty much wrecks it pretty quick. So yeah. maybe we don't need to take it. We took a Thor. Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> Thor is pretty tough. Thor is absolutely pretty tough. All right. So here's another thing. Um, the Odin sleep. It makes sense now why you favored Thor all these years. Because no matter how much you claim to love me, you're going to have a frost giant sitting on the throne of Asgard. Gods! Gods, please help! He gets in this fight with Loki. He gets stressed out and he passes out. Is it, is it like narcolepsy? Is that what it is? Like, how does the Odin sleep work? So it works narratively, Lonnie. Okay, all right, sure. We just need him passed out. We need him off the board, right? Like, Odin's power level in the regular Marvel universe mm-hmm. is off the charts. Right, yeah. I mean, he is one of the sort of like pillars of most powerful extra dimensional beings, you know, kind of thing. And so eventually you need a story that involves how much trouble Loki and Thor can get into when dad's not around. Mm -hmm. But he's Odin. Yeah. Well, let's just decide that every thousand years or so he needs a serious nap to recharge. All right. I mean, I'm making light, but that's basically it. That's it works basically what narratively. That is. So, because it narratively takes that power differential out. Yes. Okay. All right. How long is it until we need him to come back and fix things? Right. Okay. How often does it happen? How often do we need it? To <laughs> right. Whenever he gets really stressed out. Whenever he fights with one of his kids and he just falls into the Odin sleep. So, to be fair to the movie, they did mention that they were getting close. Yes. To Odin sleep mm-hmm. time. I think. Um, Laufey says something yeah. about how it's close to that time. And like, and I think actually now that I'm now, oh, it's all coming together. Uh-huh. I don't think Thor was going to be crowned full on king at the beginning. I think he was basically going to be king with the training wheels on while Odin took a nap. Oh, 
Oh, so it was nap time. But you know, I wouldn't swear to that because <laughs> it's just occurring to me now. <laughs> right. This is the thing. We have absolutely no clarity on that. But also, we get this um, this point where Freya says, We mustn't lose hope that your father will return to us. And your brother. What hope is there for Thor? There's always a purpose to everything your father does. So Odin's plan when he banished Thor was to send Thor to Earth, separated from his hammer, but the hammer's there, and that Thor would only be able to get the hammer back when he was worthy. How did he know that Earth was going to make him worthy? How did he know that that was going to be a thing? Boy, if anything makes you wistful for that whole let's just make him into Donald Blake today plan, yeah, that actually makes kind of sense. No, I mean, I think... The being sent to Earth and depowered, yeah. like learn what it is to not be to the have mighty humility, Thor. Right. To get to humility makes a kind of sense. But then the romance comes in and muddies the whole thing up because Thor decides to sacrifice himself for his friends. And and it's interesting to me that he is still talking about Jane as his friend there. And we haven't really had a whole lot of romantic stuff. We've had a little giggling yeah, uh-huh. be- between the two of them. But it hasn't been like a real hardcore romantic yeah. thing. And then Loki's going to use the idea of her as a weapon at the very end. And I don't know. They don't connect those dots. Yeah. No, I don't feel like that. It, it just, it doesn't, none of it makes any sense to me. Like, I don't understand it. The other thing that doesn't make any sense to me, and I realize that this is just me and the way my mind works, uh, because ever since I've had kids, I'm very into safety. But that rainbow bridge that is seriously not OSHA approved. Like, there's got to be guardrails and stuff on that shit. I mean, <laughs> I think Asgard probably has the same feelings about OSHA that the Empire does imagine, from Star Wars. I imagine. Where it's just like catwalks, it's, man. No, it's just... very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I really liked about the Rainbow Bridge yes. or the bridge to the Rainbow Bridge, uh-huh. I guess. what Because you have like an actual physical bridge that they have to walk out to the, the thing that actually bri- – anyway, yeah, like, you what know is, what I mean. Okay, what is the, – but there's there's the bridge that they walk on, you know, the big the big glassy thing with all the yes. rainbow colors in it, right? That they ride horses on. That they ride on. horses on. Where do the horses go once they get there? I, I don't know. But like – but then there's the Bifrost, which is like this laser light transfer th- like transportational thing like what is what is that okay i have a theory about this that d- that is not as textual as i would like it to okay. be okay but this was me thinking about that whole i hate how at the end of the movie i hate that thor is destroying the bridge in spite of the fact that he loves jane except our love for jane is very full of questions and i was just thinking about this right I don't think anybody else in the nine worlds gets to travel between the nine worlds at will except for the Asgardians. Okay. Because at the beginning, the Jotun are attacking Earth, and it's the cask of winters that lets them travel to Earth. Yes. And then Odin takes it away, Mm -hmm. and now they're trapped on Jotunheim, which is a dump. Right. So I think that... This super science rainbow bridge, mm-hmm. which is, you know, again, the thing that ostensibly Jane is trying to figure out how it works right. from a theoretical side. I think that's the thing that makes Asgard particularly special is that they are able to travel at will. The thing that Jane is associating that with is the Einstein-Rosen bridge, which is actually a real theory. And that's that has to do with like wormholes and stuff. So that's right. what that's supposed to be. Yes. It just, I don't know, like, honestly... None of it, none of it made sense to me. 
at all. No, I I agree. We definitely have the problems of multiple writers here, probably. I think, yeah. Because the thing that I was really thinking is if if Thor's humility is basically knowing when to put his power down, yeah. right? And so if we made a big deal at the beginning about how the Bifrost is what makes Asgard so powerful mm-hmm. is they get to go wherever they want, whenever they want, then at the end when he smashes it, it is yeah. the most epic cosmic putting down of the power. Absolutely. Putting down of the and power it makes to sense. save like, other people. Yeah, yeah, he learned that sometimes... The hero, the king, has to put the power down mm-hmm. yeah, no, for the greater good. That would be excellent. If we had had some well, clarity be on that, that would have been great. But but that was – the only reason I came up with that is because I was thinking about how much I hate the fact that Loki is saying – And I was like, eh. Right. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Fine. Yeah. I mean, because when next we see Thor in Avengers, he's not that upset about like, oh yeah, it's cool. We gave her, we gave her a ride to, yeah, somewhere not here. Right. Thanks, Coulson. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. He's clearly real dialed in on Jane. Yeah. It's not. It's 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 not it's not good. It's not a good romance. It's not sold. The the things that happen, like these big climactic moments, they are huge visual showpieces for the movie, but they don't make a whole lot of sense. And none of the lines of antagonism are very clearly drawn. And, and you know, I mean, this, I think what I, what I most enjoy in this movie is that sense of that internal struggle, that he yes. is all powerful. And when you are all powerful, like, you know, there are certain vulnerabilities that you just don't have. And for him to have those vulnerabilities, for him to have to learn to function as just another guy for him to be in a bar and somebody picks a fight and they kick his ass. Like that's what I want to see. You know, I want to see him have those very human struggles and we, we sort of whisper at it. We kind of flirt with it a little bit, but we never really do anything with it. And then we've got this, you know, big epic power struggle going on with Loki and Asgard, which I also think is interesting to have Thor been there you know, been able to like be uh, actually actively involved in that conflict. That also could have been interesting, but that's a different story. It really is. It really is. And I mean, I, again, you see all the pieces. Like if I sat down, like this was a jigsaw puzzle, Mm -hmm. I could put it together into something where those two things mattered to one another. Um, Like uh, Odin does crown Thor and then he goes night, night. And then Loki's like, well, guess who's a lot easier to get rid of? Yeah, right. Thor. Well, because Thor is just so, I don't know. It's And Thor has grown up with Loki. Like, he doesn't, he trusts Loki completely. Everything Loki says, he's like, yeah, that sounds right. You know, and I'm thinking, so this is the first time this guy's lied to you? Everything he says is lies. Like, did you not pick up on that sometime in the last, I don't know, what has it been, 1,000, 2,000 years they've been growing up together? You'd think at a certain point he would know not to trust Loki. That point is in Thor Ragnarok. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> no, there is... I'll save that conversation till then, but yeah. there is a very um, uh, like frog and the scorpion thing going on with Loki mm-hmm. where you feel like, I mean, again, I'm totally backfilling this because the idea of like a young Thor and young Loki getting into scraps yeah. is really entertaining to me. And so I guess if Loki lies to everybody else two thirds of the time and Thor only one third of the time, yeah. and sometimes the lies are to get both of them out of trouble with dad. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. It's all backfill. It doesn't. It's it's tough because it's like it's not like Loki just woke up and suddenly started being duplicitous. Like this is a, an essential part of he is a trickster god. That's an essential part yeah, of his core, character. Core character concept. Yeah. Yes. So for yes. Thor to not have picked up on that at this point, you know, feels a little bit weird. Well, we may have mentioned Thor's thick as three points. Yeah, no, he really so, is. He really is. He's not he's, he's not, not terribly bright. Um so I don't know. For me, like I feel bad because I really want to find the positives in this movie. I mean, I think that it was beautifully done. I think that the visuals were pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, I liked I liked the, some of the visual ways that it was it was represented. But overall, like I didn't understand I didn't understand the nine worlds. You know, it feels like you're just kind of it, it feels like um, like you're familiar with Terry Pratchett. Yes. Yeah. You know, the disc world, right, where it's just like this flat thing on top of a bunch of uh, elephants, which are standing on top of a turtle, you know, like this kind of thing. Like, yes. there's no I don't I get that sense from from Asgard that there, it doesn't feel like a world to me with like a, a, an enclosed atmosphere or anything that makes sense. Like none of it makes any sense. And when they're over in Jotunheim, right. Um, they go over there, they crack everything up, they're destroying the place, you know, they're ripping like the world itself apart. And it just seems like, well, if it's that fragile, that it's just like a couple of feet of ice or rock or whatever, and then <laughs> Thor can, you know, stamp his hammer and, and like, you know, crack everything. Like, what is it falling into? What is the space here? Like, none of it makes any sense to me. Do you have a sense of like, how those physical spaces work? I mean, I thought they were beautifully represented, but I just didn't understand them. I feel like Asgard as weird place that doesn't make sense was on purpose. Mm-hmm. And that Jotunheim is just an accident of budget. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's very claustrophobic. Yeah. Even though it's supposed to be an entire planet. And you're right. Like, yeah, they're breaking. It's breaking into a million pieces. And I mean, again, I think there's a part of the story where you could tell it where Jotunheim being a dump matters. Mm-hmm. And you get a little of that in the in the flashback, but it's not enough to explain it. And so if if Asgard were the only thing that didn't make sense... That in itself would make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they're the crown jewel of the nine worlds, apparently. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you start putting them together, it's like, okay, uh, crazy flat disc planet mm-hmm. thing, um, brittle ice planet, uh, New Mexico. Right. <laughs> yeah, seems well, legit. You know, Earth is supposed to be Midgard. Earth is supposed to be one of these realms. And yet it, it runs by like actual scientific reality whereas like Asgard and Jotunheim they don't seem to be like physically real they don't feel real to me they don't make sense you know so a lot of that stuff I just felt like I didn't it all was like visually powerful but none of it made any sense to me like I could not anchor myself in that space at all, you know, and when they're standing on the edge of the, the fractured rainbow bridge looking out and there's just like, they're just in space. Like there's this waterfall right next to them that just goes off the edge of the planet. And like, yeah. I don't, I don't understand it. And then, you know, and then we have Loki, right? Loki falls into like space and he's, I don't know where he went or how he survived that whole thing. But then we've got the clip at the end you know, with Selvig and Fury and Loki's there whispering into Selvig's ear. Like, 
I guess Loki's fine. So what were we worried about when he let go? Like it is that's a little weird. I mean, I think I think they knew he was going to be the bad guy in Avengers, but hadn't quite figured out what shape that was going to take yet. Right, but there's no hint. Like, was there? And maybe I missed it, but is there any hint that like? Loki's a guy who could survive falling into space because Thor and Odin seem fairly convinced that Loki's dead. Or at least has fallen into some kind of fairy tale bottomless pit. I don't yeah. I don't have a good answer for you, Lon. I don't you know, I just gotta say, like, I I was so confused by pretty much all of it and convinced by none of it. None of it sold for me. You know, I like and the buddies, you know, were fun and everything, but there wasn't really much there with that either. Like the buddies are his, his crew, but it like if he had lost Loki, his mother, Odin and the buddies, like if he had done something so bad that everybody was mad at him and then got banished, you know, like yeah. that to me would be that, like that there would be that internal conflict. Like I'm having all these problems with everybody. Obviously something's wrong with me, you know, and for him to kind of turn that internally and do that sort of soul searching could have been really, really interesting. You know, you take away what it is that makes your hero powerful and you see who they are just as a person, you know, mm -hmm. and to do that, I think would have been so interesting. And it feels like they kind of flirted with that idea, but we never really got there and everything. It just feels like it's all this running around, you know, for for not a whole lot of, of delivered story on the other end. Knowing you, I feel like if they had put the effort in on the character and narrative side that you would have been thinking less about the unreality of a lot of it oh, maybe, because you yeah. would be you'd have an anger I could right? believe like in the, something the, if I can't believe in the right. physical space at least I can believe in the emotional relationships you know right but here I can't believe in any of it it's making you question all of it and yeah it's not I mean it's it's definitely fine if you're just going to sit down and like roll through the movie and then never think about it again. Right. But that's not what we're doing. And yeah, the more you look at it, the more you're like, well, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> I, I don't feel like you can anchor. Like there's nothing anchoring this movie to anything, you know? And I think that this is exactly what I'm talking about. When I talk about the problems with having a lot of writers, we have two completely mm -hmm. separate stories here that don't really interact, you know? And it's, yeah, it absolutely really makes sense. You know, I mean, there's, there's kind of the nice moment that, you know, shield comes in, they take all of her research, then she wants her research back and we get a sense of like, a clear goal from Jane and, and then she and, and Thor are there and they're working together for a nanosecond. He leaves her on the fringes. She just like, okay, you go take care of it. Like they're not working together anymore. Yeah. And then she calls Selvig and she's like, I did what you didn't want me to do. Come, come get me maybe, you know? And Oh, Lonnie, <laughs> I have the one thing you can believe what, in. What, what, what? You can believe in Phil Coulson. I can believe in Phil Coulson. You know, I love this <laughs> in Phil Coulson. You know, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, I don't think you've been completely honest with me. Um, yeah, I seeing Phil Coulson, seeing like the Shield presence, like I like that. I like the way that um, that Clark Gregg, of course, plays Phil Coulson. So yes, I was absolutely anchored in the Phil Coulson stuff. So there was that. I I also appreciate because I because we know where it's headed, mm -hmm. right? I appreciate that even with Coulson in charge. Mm -hmm. Shield is still a jackboot. Yeah, it's just a jackboot with a little bit of velvet wrapped. Yeah, with a, with a sense of humor, basically. <laughs> yeah, but it's still like, oh no, we're gonna take all your research. Yeah, we're gonna. We're you gonna stole come it. Here no, we borrowed it. it. Yes, pumpkin. Exactly. You were never given that back. Yeah, like that's no, no, no. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, you know, again, knowing kind of big picture where we're headed with Shield, it's nice that they don't soften it too mm -hmm. much because we like Coulson yes. by this point. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, Coulson is still, I mean, at this point, what we've seen from Iron Man, what we've seen, you know, from him so far, he's kind of a shady character. You're not really sure. Like, he's charming, but is he good? Like, you don't know at this point, you know, and it could go either way. So um, he's, he's, you know, the men in black. He's that guy. You know, right, right. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah I, but I, of course, mm. love, love me some Phil Coulson. No, he's I, I've never fallen in love with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like you have. Yeah. Um, I'm prepared for you to convince me, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's the crown jewel of that show, no matter yeah, what. No, he's he's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. So, OK, well, we read the Mighty Avenger comics, right? This okay. eight comic run from 2010. So it was written concurrently with the movie. And let me preface. Yes. For our listeners, why I did this. Because Lonnie and I had a lot of conversations about Thor. And I talked about how there are ways for Thor to be a likable, vulnerable character. And one of the ways that I saw that work was in Thor the Mighty Avenger. And so I was like, well, read this thing and let's see. I mean, another way, it's funny you bring up Discworld. Because another way that I tried to position Thor was as uh, Carrot from the Guards Uh series. Mm -hmm. Who is not smart. Right. But is very good and straightforward, right? Which I think is another way to approach Thor, and you get that uh, with a with a dose of impetuous and easily angered in the Mighty Avenger. Which again, he's trying to get over it, right? You know? Right. Well, I mean, this um, is the but thing. But that was why I suggested it. Yeah. How did you find Thor in the Mighty Avenger? How did that work for I you? I liked him better than I did in the movie. All right, which again is a low bar because a bar you can trip over. Thor. <laughs> Because I am not, I am not a fan of Thor in this movie. He is a big tantrum throwing man child. But, um, but in the Mighty Avenger, we open up with him. He's on Earth. He's lost his powers. He doesn't have his hammer, um, and he is completely. He's confused. living as a homeless. He's person. a homeless person. He can't remember yeah. anything about. Like he can't remember anything. You know. And um, and then we have Jane, who is this museum curator, you know, so she's working for the museum. The museum is where the hammer ended up and uh, he's trying to get it back. And so I think that I, I think it worked out better for me than the movie did. Although we have this eight run, you know, eight issue run of these comics. Yeah, it's not a finished piece. And it doesn't finish yeah. the story. Like we get we get some sense of like at the end of that run, like how he lost his memory or at least who's responsible for that. But we don't have you know, the final story. We don't have the end of that story where he, you know, regains himself and knows who he is again, you know? Um, And we have flights of fancy. We have, you know, robots and dragons and, you know, like all sorts of like crazy, crazy stuff going on. But I think that you do. Ant-Man and Iron Man Man. Submariners. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's (laughs) everything. Everything is in this, this series. Um, but what I did like was the way that Thor did have that vulnerability. And I think that they, they landed that vulnerability better in the comic run than they did in the movie, you know? Um, and he's a good guy and he just wants to like, you know, genuinely help people, which I think is nice. And it's nice to see him be good. Like if he can't be smart, at least be good, you know? But in the movie, it's like, he's, yes. he's not smart, but he's also like kind of a, a pissy little baby boy, you know? So right. turning over tables and throwing fits and running off and getting people, you know, almost killed over in Jotunheim. Like the stuff that he does is just ridiculous in the movie. But in, in the, the comic run, I definitely liked him better. He's still not my favorite. Um, no, but... I was taking a step in the direction of vulnerable. Yeah. Like they, they, Chris Samney does the art mm-hmm. on this run, mm-hmm. and the facial expressions are fantastic. Yeah. 
because part of the part of the story here, and and I'll be honest, I like this better as an Odin thing mm-hmm. than a different narrative beat. Mm-hmm. But Thor is banished, and he knows that, but he can't remember why. Yeah. He can't remember what he did that got him banished. And there are these moments of massive vulnerability. Like he'll get reminded of that fact, and you just get these dejected facial yeah. expressions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that guy, give me that yeah. guy who knows he's supposed to be learning a lesson, but literally has no idea what he did to push his dad over the and edge. And is struggling, you know, I mean, is really yes. struggling with trying to figure out what it was that he did. And then his friends come to visit, you know, with the ridiculous goat chariot, which was always really fun. Um, and uh, 100% mythologically accurate. I, I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, That's Thor's chariot. <laughs> right. And the, they the all know myths. what happened, but they're not allowed to tell him. And Odin's power reaches so far that on another planet, these people still will not will not go against him. <laughs> I really, I really like the Warriors Three yeah. as your shifty, shady friends that will get you in trouble all the yeah. time. But it's always really fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they're you know they're the the Norse frat boys. You know. Yes. Galaxy. Yes. Yeah. Well. Uh, it, it doesn't take very long of reading them to figure out that they owe a great deal more to the Three Musketeers than they do to Norse legends. Uh-huh. They're they're basically the Three Musketeers. Ah, uh, yeah, I can see that. Set in Asgard, mm-hmm. so that's kind of it's on the tin, which just adds to that whole. These guys are the ones who are going to show up and take you to the party, and then you're going to wake up and be like, "Whose clothes are these? <laughs> Why do my knuckles hurt? Where did we park?" And they're not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't remember either. <laughs> and even those guys are like, do you guys think this memory loss thing is part of Odin's plan? I don't know. It seems like it might be. Well, we're not going to break Odin's laws regardless. Right. I mean, those guys are still like, Mm-mm, Odin has figure a plan it out. for everything. And that's the thing. Like Odin is all knowing and all seeing and all powerful. And you're right. It is too much. I mean, it's too much unless you're trying to put some limits on Thor. Yeah. Right. right. Like mm-hmm. don't treat Odin like a character. He's and he's. The impetus, Mm -hmm. right? And so the other thing that I really liked about the Mighty Avenger, and I think this ties into that vulnerability, Mm -hmm. is that, first of all, they gave Jane more of a reason to be interested in Thor as a Mm -hmm. concept because she is a historian and a museum Mm -hmm. curator. But then she is also introduced to him before he has his full powers back, and he is getting his ass kicked because he stepped in to protect a woman who was being accosted by a very bad man. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's how she is introduced to mm-hmm. him. And this is while Jane is on a sort of date with a guy that she sort of broke up with who's not that who's great a guy. The worst. He's the worst. And then he like he walks away and then he comes back later. And I felt like he was maybe the other half of Hyde, that guy that that he was beating up. But then I'm like, no, because they were in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Like, there's something. No, shifty he's just about a crappy guy. boyfriend. Oh, God. That was so shifty. OK. Yeah. Well, all right. But I like I like that, that she's on this sort of yeah. date with the only other person that she's kind of romantically connected with. And we established that once upon a time he was much more altruistic, yeah. like he was going into medicine mm-hmm. to take care of people. But he then he got all about the money and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what do they find? But this hobo who's trying to beat up a person with superpowers yeah. because that guy wouldn't leave a woman alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it. It works on all these levels where she's just like, oh, he's a really good guy, yeah. even before he gets all his Well, and we know back. that's what she's interested in. 
You know, she's, she exactly. wants somebody who is good hearted, you know, and who wants the right things for the right reasons. So when she, you know, bumps into Thor, you see him behaving, you know, in a situation where he does not have his power. This guy is so much bigger than him. This guy keeps throwing him literally through the wall, you know, mm -hmm. out of the bar. And he keeps going back. You know, and he's he's going back and he's going to get himself killed, but he's going to protect that woman. And yeah, I like that. You know, and then we have and a reference he... to that later on in the series where that woman's mother sees Thor yes! on the street and says, thank you so, so much. And it was it was one of the, it was a nice little callback, you know, to that little act of heroism. The other thing that I like about this Jane and this Thor is that Jane takes him in because mm -hmm. he doesn't he's obviously he's a good guy, but he doesn't have anywhere to go. And so he is sleeping on her couch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when she invites him to do that, I love this exchange between them. When she invites him, she's like, you can come and stay with me, but you're sleeping on the couch. Mm -hmm. And he goes, aren't you worried about your virtue? Right. And she's like, well, you're worried about my virtue. And a lady notices those yes. kinds of things. <laughs> that was a really nice moment. So they, they actually have some really nice moments, I think. And I, I believe the relationship more in the comic book run. I like Thor better in the comic book run. I think that there are ways, you know, to tell his story without it it being so flat the way that it was in the movie. Yes. You know, that there there are ways to give layers to these characters. So I would I would recommend the the comic run, even though it's an unfinished story, which of course drives me crazy. It is unfinished. That is comic books, everybody. I mean They just canceled it. They just stopped. And I'm like, wait a minute, you gotta finish the arc. You gotta finish the story arc. You gotta at least commit to I'm that. not gonna do it. Yeah. I'm not gonna do it because nobody wants to hear this rant in this place. <laughs> but it was canceled for the most awful, stupid, but obvious comic book reasons ever. And it just makes me even more angry. What are the obvious reasons? Oh. Because some here, I'll I'll try and sum okay. it up. Because some made up stories matter more than other made up uh -huh. stories. And that was the made-up story that didn't matter as much as the other. Oh, okay. It's so stupid. Oh, anyway. that's a shame, though. It would. I mean, I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna do an eight, you know, episode run, the eighth episode should should tie it all up. That's just what I. That's just how they I could have given them four more issues yeah. to get somewhere. And it anyway. Yes. yes. The other thing that I was hoping the Mighty Avenger might do mm -hmm. for you is point out some of what I mean about how scale doesn't matter as much if you're actually doing the character yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, no, I see. Because pretty early on, he gets his hammer back. He gets all his power yeah. back. But he's still very vulnerable in these other ways. So Thor is very strong. Mm -hmm. Don't hit Thor where his strength can help yeah. him. Hit him in his heart. Get the vulnerability. This is the thing. You need vulnerability in characters. You absolutely have to have it because that's where the real work happens, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would like to see that in the future with Thor. I don't know that I ever will. But anyway, so for the movie. You might a little. Right, maybe. But we're not going to get to talk about it for a really I'll long time. I'll get to that soon. Um, we'll get to All right. So for the movie, what is your favorite part? Heimdall. Aha. All right. I mean, bar none, my favorite part of this movie. Mm -hmm. It's Idris Elba. He's amazing. He is a serious actor, as we know, but also is a guy who can have fun. And you see, you get all of that in yeah. here because you have three big scenes for me with Heimdall. Mm -hmm. One, when he is conspiring against Loki with the Warriors 3 and yes. Sif. Mm -hmm. And then he threatens Loki. And then at the end, he is comforting Thor. Yeah. And that like serious gravitas baritone. Mm -hmm. 
but then he's able to just like quirk a couple of syllables. Yeah. And just infuse it with a whole bunch of just like, I mean, he's so arch with the Warriors 3 and Sif. And he's so angry with Loki. And then he is so legitimately comforting with Thor. And I'm like, you are the best thing in this movie. Let's have the Heimdall movie. (laughs) Yeah, Idris Elba does a really great job with that. And that is not necessarily like an easy part to play. He's not given a lot. It's pretty thankless, honestly. What he has, he really does a lot with, which is pretty impressive. What about yourself, Lonnie? What was your favorite part? Well, you know, I got to say, Thor breaks in to the shield, you know, compound, right? Just just rips the walls apart and goes on it, right? As he should. Right. He has a whole mud fight and everything, Gets gets to the hammer, puts his hand around it, and he can't move it. Like, this is his hammer. This is the essential you know, counterpart to himself. This is identity for him, right? Mm-hmm. And he cannot reach his own identity. He cannot compel this thing, which is a part of him, to move at his command. And I love that moment. We don't we don't do anything good with it. We don't see it all the way through. But in the moment in itself, and then, you know, Phil Coulson is like, you know, we've got uh, Barton there, Hawkeye, right, with his arrows, you know, <laughs> like, make the call, Coulson. Lord. And Coulson's like, nope, hold on, you know. And he goes, I want to see what happens, right? And then he tries yeah. to grab it. And it does, and there's so much in that moment that could have been such an incredibly powerful, this is a dark moment, you know, when he's lost all of himself. He thinks he can get it back. But it's not as easy as he thinks, you know. Um, I love that. It could have been a great turning point for the story. It could have launched us into a different part of the story in which we see him accept himself as a human and just kind of try to live as a human or whatever. We, we mess it up, but I love that moment. I just think it's a great, great moment in the movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That is the only real glimmers that we get of vulnerable Thor. Yeah, yeah. Like, his heart's ripped out at that yeah. point. Banishment wasn't that big a deal. I know what to do with banishment. Right. Mm-hmm. Is I go get my hammer. Right. But then you get the hammer, and it won't budge. And yeah, it's interesting how much the uh, Tony Stark is Iron Man, Iron Man is Tony uh-huh. Stark. We're going to see this again with Captain America yep. in the shield, mm-hmm. how these things are... Some of them, you know, the, the dial gets turned a little bit, how much they are part of their identity or not, but they're all, they have these, this external thing that is who they are. And yeah, he just breaks down and you get that all the way up until the point that Loki shows up and tells him Odin is dead. Mm -hmm. And then like right after that, we just go back to whatever movie Darcy is. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's such a great moment. It has so much potential Somebody at some point had an idea for this movie that I think would have been really good. But we got all these different visions kind of mixed up in there and it just got lost. There's two or three really good movies in this movie. Yeah. It's too bad they couldn't commit. To yeah, one of them. if they committed to one of them, it could have been really good. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up, A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Captain America, the first Avenger. Yes, and if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich, and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you. And you can show your support by visiting our Patreon pages, or leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us 
and join in the conversation. Yes, the links to Apple Podcasts and both our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in the show notes. Until next time, whosoever listens to this podcast, if they be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Thor.